Hi, and welcome to the newest episode of the Women in Foreign Policy podcast. This month, we're going to be talking about foreign policy journalism, and we're going to talk to some women with some really interesting and different perspectives on working in the foreign policy space and being journalists in in a time period where there's some interesting sensitivities around journalism and reporting and kind of how that manifests for them both as women and as journalists. Before we get started, though, I want to introduce everyone to some of our new podcast team members. Um, As you will all have heard on our last episode, Annika is no longer with the podcast team and we are going to miss her very, very much. But um, we have also added some new team members and we've done some reshuffling of the structure. So um, as you you may remember, we have a podcast assistant, Nina. She's come back from hiatus in a slightly different role. And then we've also added two new podcast team members, Shreya and Rachel, both of whom will also be introducing themselves. So I'm going to let each of these wonderful young women introduce themselves and then we'll get started with our interviews. Hi, my name is Rachel Dooley. I'm the assistant producer for the podcast team at Women in Foreign Policy. I'm a journalist based in Philadelphia. Before that, I've worked at places like CNN covering the 2016 presidential election, as well as other local news outlets. I'm excited about the work being done at Women in Foreign Policy and I'm looking forward to joining such a strong team. Hiya, I'm Nina, and this year I'm coming back as the production coordinator on the podcast. I'm really excited to be working along Ashley and our two new team members. And yeah, I cannot wait to see what other amazing episodes we are going to be producing. I currently live in London, where I'm studying at UCL, doing a master's in human rights. My role this year entails interviewing the amazing women that you will be hearing speak on our podcast episode month by month and also editing the whole podcast together, um, which is something I've learned in my undergrad since I did multimedia journalism. Therefore, I'm especially excited for this month's episode to finally drop and hope you guys enjoy it. Hi, everyone. I'm Shreya Mascara. I'm a political strategist and consultant currently based out of New Delhi, India. Previously, I have worked with the United Nations as a part of the Sustainable Development Goals team, and I'm really looking forward to being a part of the Women in Foreign Policy team. So to get us started, uh, I'm going to have each of the women that we spoke to for this episode give a brief introduction about themselves. My name is uh, Angela Napoletano and uh, I work as a freelance journalist for uh, Avvenire, that is um, a national daily newspaper Italian. I work from London uh, as a a kind of Brexit correspondent because I cover mostly political issue in this moment uh, about uh, British politics, but I I write also about uh, all the other things connected with this, such as uh, the problem of um, migrants, the effect of Brexit uh, in the economy, and also the social problem connected with uh, the, um, the future of this country. My name is Amy McKinnon. I'm a staff reporter at Foreign Policy Magazine. I broadly cover national security um, with a bit of an Eastern European flavor to it because that's my my background. I lived in Eastern Europe for four years, um, for two years in Russia, one year kind of split between Hungary and the Czech Republic, and then a, a fourth and final year in, in Georgia. My name is Yegana Torbati. I'm a reporter in Washington for ProPublica, where I cover the federal government. So this is a careers podcast, and obviously one of the first things anyone wants to know about any given career is, how did you get started? 
We asked each of these women to give a brief synopsis of kind of how their career in journalism started, and Angela starts us off. Actually, I have to say that uh, being a journalist was not my, my dream when I was a child. It was just thing that um, happened. And uh, I graduated in uh, philosophy in, uh, in Bari uh, many years ago, <laughs> in 2000. And uh, after um, the degree, I, I moved to Milan for my first job that was something quite different from journalism because uh, uh, it was a, uh, a role in uh, communication um, agency specialized in financial. So it's, uh, it was uh, quite uh, far from my interest. But that was uh, just the, the, the first things that uh, I found out in that period. And it lasted quite uh, <laughs> a short time. Uh, in fact, uh, I realized suddenly that it was not my, my, my job. So I quit that position and I decided to apply for uh, the uh, journalism school in, uh, in Rome. And uh, that was a, a very important experience because uh, thanks to the school, I had the possibility to, to have my first uh, internship in uh, a local newspaper that was also one of the main important, uh, that was a Republica in Bari. And uh, that was uh, my first approach to journalism and I realized that uh, I was already in love with this, that kind of job. Yes, so after that internship, I I came back to Rome and uh, I started to have um, a kind of uh, other internship at Avenire. And from that point, uh, I I started to work uh, quite uh, frequently with them. After something very important happened to me because I had the possibility to work for the government at the Minister of Health for uh, five years. And it was uh, the Berlusconi government, uh, and it was uh, such an amazing experience that broadened my my professional uh, experience, my professional skills, and also helped me to be more aware about uh, the deep meaning of politics, uh, generally speaking. And uh, after that experience, I decided to come to journalism and uh, to... Uh, focus my interest in politics. Yegana also told us some thoughts about how she got her start in journalism and how her background maybe began to shape what her career eventually became. So I uh, pursued journalism from a pretty young age. In high school, I worked at my high school paper. And um, in college, I worked at my college paper and then um, did internships during the summer and basically always knew that I wanted to go into journalism. And specifically, um, my, ma- my major ambition was to be a foreign correspondent. Um, and so um, I, uh, I have uh, an Iranian background. My, my parents are from Iran. I studied Arabic uh, in college and was hoping to um, be a foreign correspondent in the Middle East. Um, after graduating from college, um, I did an internship at the New York Times uh, in their D.C. Bureau and then that sort of led um, onto a um, position at the Baltimore Sun as a general assignment reporter, um, which is sort of where I learned a lot of the kind of the basics of um, daily journalism, which I, I still use today. Um, and then after a little while at the Sun, I um, got into the Reuters uh, sort of graduate um, uh, journalism trainee program in London. 
Um, and at the time, it was really focused on um, sort of financial journalism. So I got to learn a lot of the basics of stocks and bonds and, and financial markets and how to report on them. And after some time in London with Reuters, I uh, went to Dubai. And while I was in Dubai, I basically was um, one of the main people covering Iran for Reuters, which was um, a really great opportunity in terms of um, just covering a really big international story and and doing it every day and, and sort of learning ways to report creatively on a country that I wasn't actually based in. Um, and then in 2015, I moved to D.C. with Reuters and have, uh, you know, when I, while I was there, covered, um, you know, the Pentagon at one point, the State Department, um, immigration for a couple years. And then very just recently, I've moved to ProPublica um, starting in June. And here I'm kind of covering a mix of different things. It's sort of project based and, and story by story. But um, at this point right now, it's a lot of um, some immigration issues and then some national security foreign policy issues. Amy had a great answer for this question. I kind of came into journalism a little bit backwards. Sorry if you have to bleep that out in the podcast. Um, but I'm very uh, glad to have ended up here. Um, so I grew up, my, I've lost my accent, but I grew up in the north of Scotland in a, in a small town. And, um, and journalism seemed like a really... Uh, really cool, but also a really kind of lofty, distant profession, um, a bit like, um, I mean, these are jobs that people do, but like a bit like saying, you know, your kid's saying that they want to be a ballerina or an astronaut or, you know, you're kind of like, oh, that's sweet, but um, yeah, you got to pay the bills, honey. Um, so journalism kind of always felt a little bit like that. Um, and I started, I always knew that I wanted to travel. That was kind of my motivating factor. And so I studied um I studied Russian at college as, a, as, as an undergrad, um, and I hopped around between, that was my minor, my, my major hopped around, but Russian was always, always a constant. Um, and it was in my final year at university that I started writing for the student newspaper, um, and that was where I um, kind of began to cut my teeth. And it was, what was really my kind of um, catapult was in, in that year where I was writing for the student newspaper, I won, a, I won an award from Amnesty International. They do their media awards every every year in the UK, and as part of that, they have um, a student category. And so I won in their student category, and that was, I think I kind of won that. I would have just, um, I think my other alternative route would have been going into the nonprofit sector um, or international aid, which I would have loved and would have been fantastic. But um, but winning that award kind of catapulted me into, I still had to like do the hard work because <laughs> um, uh, I didn't have a whole lot of experience, but it's. I suppose it solidified the idea that like, this was a possibility, that this was something that I could do. But after college, I did a job. I went. I moved back home to my to my hometown and did a job in media and comms for a, a local nonprofit. And then I went to I went to grad school twice. Um, the first time I did a, a master's in Russian Central and East European Studies, which was joint a joint. It was like it was a joint degree between University of Glasgow and Corvinus University in Budapest. Um, and so that was what brought me to living in Eastern Europe. Because after I did that master's, I went to, I did a fellowship in Russia, and then I moved to Georgia and worked for a, a new startup there, um, which was all really, really exciting. But I, um, I still felt I needed, um, I still kind of needed to cut my teeth a little bit, and I wasn't, I was struggling to get jobs which would allow me to do that. And so I, um, I did a master's in, um, in New York City at what's now called the Newmark School of Journalism at CUNY. Um, and that was a straight master's in journalism. 
We also asked, what advice do these women have for someone else interested in a similar position? What should someone who perhaps wants to end up in the same position in their careers be doing at this stage or be thinking about as they're moving into kind of an early career place? Higana told us about some of the things she thinks are most important for a young journalist to be thinking about. So if it's someone who's um, either in school or isn't quite in the field of journalism yet, I would really recommend just trying to get writing and reporting experience in, in any way possible. So whether that's internships or school paper or some sort of even community publication, I think there's just so much of this that you can't really, you, you have to sort of do to, to, to really learn it and you kind of have to make some mistakes and, and learn kind of the just the daily principles of, of journalism that way. I would also really, really recommend learning uh, a language. Um, and that has that was a huge boost for me, I think, knowing um, how to speak and read and write Persian, um, which is the language my parents taught me when I was growing up. And, you know, that enabled me, I think, to kind of get in the door at Reuters um, in a way and, and, and have responsibilities that, you know, your typical 23-year-old or 24-year-old reporter wouldn't have had. And then once I was there and was using my, my Persian skills on a day-to-day basis, I was also sort of proving myself as a reporter just beyond that. And I think that that then enabled me to take on assignments that had nothing to do with um, being able to speak Persian, but which people entrusted me with because they could see that, you know, just overall, I was a good reporter. Amy gave us some great advice for people looking to become a journalist. Professional networks are profoundly useful. Um, And especially when you're young, you know, people want to help you. People, you know, it's for A, it's kind of, it's a nice feeling to be able to give back, but um, people want to feel like they're kind of guiding and cultivating the next generation. So especially when you're young, make use of that. Like, don't be afraid to reach out to people and say, hey, I love your work, would love to get coffee and pick your brain. Like, worst thing can happen is they don't reply, but they're, they're still going to be flattered and it's not going to, you're not going to come off looking bad from it. You know, journalism is just such a networked profession. It's, you know, knowing editors, knowing who to pitch to, knowing how to pitch to, knowing if you're applying for a job somewhere, knowing people in that organization to, to ask them, hey, do you know what this hiring editor is looking for? Am I a good candidate? Like, what can I do to impress them? All of that kind of stuff. And the other thing I would say is, sounds very basic, but I think is, is not for nothing, is, is do what you enjoy. I mean, the reason I think I got the job, this job at Foreign Policy was not, it was because I was a journalist and you know, could be a safe pair of hands for a story, but it was because I had a background in, in Russia and Eastern Europe at a time when um, Russia's kind of a big deal in Washington, now Ukraine is. Um, and so having that background and that knowledge and that kind of niche was definitely, I think, what got me in here. And I've seen that with other folks that I went to journalism school with, that people kind of found these little niches and areas of interest for themselves, which they would work on in school. And then they were able to spin that into either very robust freelancing careers or into good jobs in the future because they had built up a network of specialism in a certain area or in a certain beat. So I would definitely say find what interests you and, and kind of dig in on that. Angela also told us about some really important advice that she thinks all young journalists should keep in mind. I I have to be honest, Uh, I don't think that uh, you need a specific degree to be a journalist, but mine was uh, quite um, (laughs) special because uh, philosophy has uh, in itself the role to learn, to teach you how posing questions. So 
probably that was uh, the, the the stage where I learned to 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 ask something everything to myself and also to other people's questions just this that is the way I used to um, to making an interview but um, I think that uh, everybody has the opportunity to 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 being a, a nice journalist it depends uh, only on uh, your interest and your passion we briefly touched on this earlier but something of particular interest with these women is how their backgrounds ended up shaping their careers Yagana and I talked at length about this, um, but I think that everyone had some interesting ideas and some interesting thoughts when it came to how the particular people they are and their ethnic or linguistic background really made a difference in who they are and what their career looks like today. So I moved to London one year ago uh, just because I knew that uh, the newspaper I worked for uh, uh, was looking for someone to uh, cover Brexit from London. And uh, after one year of uh, covering Brexit every day, following debates at the Parliament, I realized that probably uh, it was good for me uh, apply for, um, to apply for a master. Uh, in European politics because uh, I imagine myself in the future being a proper and professional uh, journalist expert in European politics because I, th- I think that uh, the future, apart Brexit and the mm-hmm. result that will come, will be in Europe. Mm-hmm. So I'm studying uh, European politics at UCL just to to be more aware of the challenge that uh, I will I will face in the ne- in the next future in the near future my studying concerns european politics and so what i study at the university is uh, useful also for my my articles and uh, the same in uh, in the opposite sense as i mentioned yagane and i talked about her story for quite a while and i thought what she had to say was so important I mean, um, I grew up in Oklahoma, and there's actually a lot of Iranians there, and um, uh, my parents sent me to Sunday school to learn Persian, um, basically, like, every Sunday morning from, like, 9 to 12, um, and I hated it at the time, but uh, but it was a huge help because I, I think a lot of um, Iranian-American kids or, or um, you know, children of immigrants probably learn some of the basics of their language just being in the household, but I actually learned some of the formal structures, I learned how to um, read and write. Um, and that was incredibly helpful. Um, when I started covering Iran full-time, I had to read a lot of Iranian, um, state media and, and, and private media. And, um, of course, you know, I didn't know sort of the, the, the formal language for like, you know, nuclear, um, centrifuges, but you kind of look, I could pick it up from context because I had a, a strong base in the language. And I think that really gave me an advantage over other reporters. Amy told us about how her background shaped her career. We're in this interesting time right now, right, where, um, you know, for the first two years of the Trump administration, it was Russia, and then now it's going to be Ukraine. I'm, I'm rare in amongst the D.C. press school that I spent a decent amount of time in that region that I, I, I speak Russian, I can read the local press, I know folks in the region, and so that has definitely I probably been the biggest shaping factor in my reporting here. In fact, one of the stories I'm... Um, going to be working on today is, is just based off what I've learned, um, research I've been able to do in Russian um, amongst the Russian press. So that's always, um, I think, helped to give me a little bit more 
to distinguish myself a little bit more um, here in D.C. Something else that we all wonder when it comes to thinking about different careers is what does day-to-day work look like? What is your nine-to-five or is there not a nine-to-five? Do you kind of shape your own day? We asked each of these women to tell us a little bit about what their day-to-day work was, how it is shaped and structured, and how it might change from week to week. Yagana started us off. I mean, it really varies from day to day. So right now I'm in the middle of trying to get a story out. So there's a lot of drafting, um, a lot of discussions with my editor. I'm still, you know, of course, meeting with sources. And that's something I try to do at least a few times a week. um, And of course, more on the phone. So you know, that involves like contacting a lot of people out of the blue um, and and also asking existing sources to introduce me to new people. Um, and then, it, you know, once you kind of make contact and they agree to meet, it means like, you know, meeting up in a coffee shop or meeting up for a drink or something. Um, so it's a lot of just like having conversations with people all the time. And then um, there's a good bit of research, um, both in terms of, you know, I'm, I've been looking through a lot of um, government grants data lately. Um, so kind of learning a lot of different new systems and learning about um, organizations in a way that that enables me to be able to report sort of the full context. Um, so I think a lot of my job probably looks like a bit of networking and a bit of sort of being an independent researcher on any given topic. That's, that's sort of a, a, a typical day. Angela also had some thoughts about what her day-to-day was like. So I read in the morning all the newspaper that I can, (laughs) uh, starting from uh, the Italian, because uh, I used to compare my article with uh, what uh, other colleagues wrote about the same topic. Uh, But also I have to to read the Financial Times, The Guardian, The Times, uh, and also uh, Newsweek, uh, uh, The Economist. So the more you read, the best it is for your, uh, your article and your knowledge, because you, 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 you are expected to be informed, properly informed about uh, everything and every detail. If I have to go to the university, I go and when I, I came back home, I read my article or I go to Westminster, it depends. And uh, I study during the night uh, or uh, just uh, on Sunday, that is the only day that I'm completely off. I know that it's hard, but uh, I'm strongly motivated to do this because uh, my job is my passion and and also studying. I like studying uh, and I think that is uh, something that uh, I do as a gift for myself. So I don't complain. (laughs) Amy also described her day-to-day for us. I wake up reasonably early. I try and read the news for about an hour every morning um, over my breakfast. We have our morning news meeting at 9.30, so we kind of are expected to have our pitches in before then if there's something that we're going to be filing that day. And then, and then it really just varies. I mean, my ideal days are days when I'm, uh, I'm meeting people and I'm kind of running around D.C., going to events, going to, like, there's so many interesting panel discussions in the city. The think tanks have events, and you can really go and see some kind of world-leading experts in their field in the flesh talking about what it is that they do and that's something very cool that I get to do and so my ideal day is when I'm running around and talking to a lot of people Um, and then in between that you know bouts of, of writing up what it is that I've learned or found out. We also asked these women what they love most about their jobs. It's easy to get bogged down into, you know, all of the things that no one ever warns you about in a career and it's easy to think that like 
it's all very hard, that it's all very glamorous, or that it's all exactly what you see on TV and in the movies. But I think there's something really important about having a realistic understanding of what a job entails and also being able to have a clear-eyed look at it and say like yeah there's also stuff that I really love going on in here and and being able to balance the things you love with the things that are hard or not fun with the late nights and the hard work and the unglamorous parts of it so we wanted to hear from these women what it was that keeps them going what do they love about their job Angela had a great answer what I like the most is speaking with people because uh, what makes sense to me is just let people tell you stories. Because uh, otherwise you can, uh, you can have uh, a not completely true vision of the world. So for me it's important just uh, meeting people, uh, asking questions, going around and uh, notice also very uh, stupid um, details uh, that you can notice uh, along the street or in the market, in the borough, everywhere, because everything is important to add value to, to your articles. So this is what I like the most, apart from studying the newspaper and reading also the very most trustworthy people, analysts. I like meeting the main character of the story that goes on. Amy describes some of the stuff she loves about her job for us. I love talking to people. It's such a privilege. I mean, especially at somewhere like foreign policy, you know, we get I get to write to some of the very respected former former diplomats, former high ranking officials, incredible authors, scholars. I get to kinda of ask them stuff and pick their brains about things and and most times they'll reply to my emails, which is extremely cool. And the other thing is that the D C press corps is also here to kind of serve as a watchdog of what's going on in any administration. And that's a, a profound responsibility when you get stories of things probably not going as they should or even wrongdoing or accusations of wrongdoing. And, you know, and it's, it's a profound privilege, but also a slightly terrifying responsibility that we're part of the system which uh, is supposed to hold people to account for these things and, and having to and sometimes it's it's kind of scary right calling up offices and saying look we've been given these leaked emails which don't make you guys look that great um care to explain what was going on give us your side of the story yeah it's it's a, it's a huge privilege um and responsibility of the job higane also had a wonderful answer to this question i think for me is it's the mission of it i i feel like I'm doing something that is a net benefit to society. Um, and especially sort of, I mean, I, I kind of always felt that way, but I think especially right now in these somewhat convoluted times, um, being able to ferret out information and take a really complex issue and kind of explain to people like, this is what's most important about it. Um, and finding information that, that, some folks would rather uh, you not find out. Um, I find that um, thrilling and also just important as a public service um, to explain to people sort of what their government and what other governments are doing. Um, you know, the fact that it also kind of fits in with um, other things that I'm good at and interested in, like writing or research or just talking to people and and um, trying to learn widely about a topic. Like those are all things that I just enjoy doing um, generally. But 
the, the sort of public service aspect of it, I think, is what <laughs> keeps me um, in the game as opposed to, you know, exiting what, what can be quite a difficult profession at times. Along the same lines, we wondered, as journalists are portrayed with all of this glamour and all of this, like, cool jet-setting kind of atmosphere, we wondered what misconceptions these women wanted to set straight about their careers and about the the path they've chosen. And I think that perhaps um, for some of them, the misconception they're setting straight is pretty straightforward. But I think it's also important to hear from journalists who are in the field right now, what is sort of the biggest misconception or the the biggest false idea that people have that they bring with them into the career and that maybe sets people back when they're initially starting out. Yagana's answer to this question was really great. Um, I think people probably think journalism is a very uh, glamorous career and it just isn't a lot of the times. It's a lot of, a lot of times it's just like finding out phone numbers or emails and people saying no to you and just feeling like, you know, it, it can, it can just be very frustrating. I think that, that uh, the, the sort of popular conception of what a journalist is, is not really, um, doesn't really reflect that. I, I wonder sometimes how, if people kind of understand the lengths to which reporters will go to verify something is true before they actually put it into print or put it on the air. Um, I think people probably don't really realize how difficult that is. And and so I, I would hope that people understand that. And if you just, if you meet us, like you realize we're just people, we're just like very ordinary <laughs> uh, people who kind of you know, generally don't really have an agenda. They're just, we're just trying to sort of figure out what's going on and, and, and do our jobs. And I think, you know, play our role in society. Like, you know, the government officials have their role in society and companies and corporations have their role um, and activists have their role, but there's a role in, in society also for journalists and to inform the public. And I think that it's best if all actors <laughs> recognize that. Amy also told us about a common misconception she wants to correct. I mean, there's some truth to the fact that that, um, the media does work as a hive mind and we kind of like feed off of each other's stories a little bit. You know, someone publishes one story and everyone's like, oh, wow, that's really interesting. We should follow up on that. Um, And so there there is definitely like, you know, the the cliche that's used in Washington is the blob. Like there is definitely a bit of blob thinking. But you you still hear people describe the media as if there is some like um, active planned coordination between outlets to cover certain issues or to not cover certain issues. Um, and it's something that you hear in the UK and, and across the world, actually, that, oh, you know, you're all ignoring this. Um, and that sometimes is the case, but it's not because um, people have sat down and said, we're going we're gonna to actively ignore this issue or, um, you know, we're only going to cover this. It just doesn't happen. Uh, we don't sit down with other outlets in Washington and say, we're not going to cover that. We're going to ignore this issue or we're only going to cover this. And I suppose for a lot of people, a lot of people know that, but I still think there are... are sizable portions of the of the population which are skeptical of the media because th- there is this perception that um, there is some coordination going on and it's just not true. Angela also had a lot of interesting thoughts on this. There are lots of misconceptions <laughs> about the role of journalists in general. They, <laughs> they are seem to be very, how do you say, narcissist, first of all, and um, because they pretend to know everything about the world. But I'm not, not because, <laughs> because um, I think that uh, I put a lot of myself in the, the way I used to be a journalist because uh, I'm, I'm quite humble and uh, I don't pretend to, to know everything about the world. But just uh, for me, the process is uh, living 
in, uh, in the meantime, in due course, you know. And so learning in the meanwhile you are writing, you are interviewing. The other thing is uh, that sometimes uh, a journalist cannot be completely trustworthy because it depends who you work for. So it means that uh, what you write as a specific way to cover, for example, especially in politics. So uh, sometimes uh, uh, journalists feel this kind of... Um, that they have to cope with the property of the newspaper, of the news agency that they, they work for. You can be free to say what you want, but you have to consider who pays. I, I, I can say that I'm lucky to work for the company who I share the value with. We also asked these women what they see as the role of journalism in the modern world. I wondered, you know, we're living in a time where people may have a more malleable relationship to the truth. And we're living in a time where there's actually quite a lot of attacks happening Um where people are attacking members of the press, the press as an idea. And this is a really volatile period. And I wonder, you know, what is it like to be the object of that kind of vitriol coming from people that maybe have a lot of power? And especially in a time where it is so important to have people who are doing the work of telling the truth. I think it can't be easy, but I think it's also really crucial. And so it was really important to, to me that we have this conversation about what the role of journalism is for these women and how they see themselves fitting into a larger ecosystem. We also wondered if maybe they saw that their roles as journalists had changed over the past few years or if uh, over the past generation of journalists, something had fundamentally shifted. Angela had a lot of great things to say about her role as a journalist in these really strange and tumultuous times. I have to say that there are big challenges in the near future to be aware of, coming especially from the technical support, so the, the social network issue and the, the challenge of high technology and how high technology can improve your, your job. But in terms of content, I think that journalism is expected to overcome the problem of the echo chamber where sometimes uh, it seems jailed because uh, journalists are a kind of uh, close community and the risk is uh, just stand in that community and don't go out and broaden your horizon. I used to, to speak about um, the, the case of uh, the Trump election in the US. Nobody uh, predicted uh, in the newspaper from journalist community the election of Trump because they were closing the echo chamber that there was no option for Trump to be elected so that is something that uh, journalists needs to uh, think about and uh, be more concrete and realistic apart from uh, the ideological point of view so this is my my expectation for the future Yagane also had some great thoughts here Obviously, the mechanics of the of the profession have changed, and um, the kind of the, some of the ways that we do our work have definitely changed. Um, but I think at the base, you know, at, at the at the heart of it, it's just about um, trying to inform citizens, voters, residents, just you know, neighbors about what 
is happening in their society and with their government. And I think a, a country and a society that has a strong press um, has a better chance of being a healthy one and, and one which people are informed and can make informed decisions. Um, so I think, you know, our role is to hold people accountable to what they've said and hold people accountable to what they do. If, if something goes wrong, I think that is something that people should know about. Um, and if, if they're like bad interests at play or different motivations or agendas, I think that's also something that the public deserves to know. So, I mean, I, I view my role fairly similarly, I think to what, how people in like the Watergate era <laughs> probably view journalists or even before that, I think the fundamentals of it haven't really changed. Amy talked to us about the role of journalism as she sees it. The role of journalism has always been to publish the truth and to hold things to account, hold people to account. That hasn't changed. And there's a lot of debate about whether the internet has made that harder or or easier. In some ways, it's easier because we have the whole world of facts right at our fingertips. It's so much easier to find experts and things because you can just kind of Google and be like, oh, there's a Harvard University scholar on this. Great. I have no idea how people did that 30 years ago, Um, but it's become that much harder because of the, expanding propaganda has always been there. You know, it's propaganda is like the second oldest profession, but it it is difficult in the age of the internet and the way in which, I think not even fake news, but just like hyper spin has has the polarizing effect of that it makes it makes it very difficult and i think a good example perhaps is the current discussion about the role of joe biden's son in this uh, ukrainian gas company it's emerging through uh, the impeachment investigation that that was the core of um what giuliani and his allies and maybe even the president is alleged to have tried to encourage the ukrainians to investigate any wrongdoing there um so you know, with the view to get political, to score political points with that, um, which is clearly, you know, if true, extremely concerning, maybe even an impeachable offense, depending on what Congress decides. And there is no evidence that um, Joe Biden or his son commit any wrongdoing. But at the same time, is it concerning to many American voters that, um, you know, that Joe Biden, who was Obama's point person in Ukraine, that his son was on the board of the Ukrainian gas company getting $50,000 a month. Yeah, I think that's a valid concern for many American voters. And so I think in this age of, like, narratives being, you know, it was a narrative pushed with a political agenda by Giuliani. Like, it can be very hard in the media to handle these two narratives at the same time that both it is concerning and and very very concerning that that Giuliani and Trump may have been pursuing that but at the same time um are do American voters have a right to be concerned about that yes finally we asked how these women choose what stories they're going to cover how does their beat get circumscribed are there stories that get assigned to them what does that process look like Higane started us off um, so it's a little bit different now that I'm at ProPublica. When I was at Reuters, which I, which is where I spent sort of the vast majority of my career, I had a specific beat and I was responsible for what happened on that beat. So that could, you know, range from on, on a given day, there might be a, a congressional hearing that I needed to watch. Um, or if, if there wasn't anything kind of on the news that was happening, I, I would try to meet with people who are you know what's going on. So maybe that's congressional aides, maybe it's uh, uh, lawyers, activists, uh, government officials, that sort of thing. So, um, and then in talking to those people, um, I would get story ideas or I would get a sense of like, oh, 
that's something that you said that I didn't know before, maybe it's worth looking into and asking other people about or doing more research on. So the story ideas kind of just come from the the mechanics of doing the beat um and then there would be times where like i was particularly interested in a topic and i think i thought it deserved more scrutiny so i would dig into it more um you know for me that was a lot of like the travel ban and then um the trump administration's restrictions on refugees um you know i didn't have editors necessarily saying that you know we want you to cover this more but when i would find out interesting stories on those topics and things that were worth knowing um you know they would help me put those out into the public and 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 do those stories and now that i'm at propublica i mean we sort of have uh, looser beats, I think, but I, I'm, I've sort of carved out a little bit of a focus for myself on, I've done some immigration stories here and then um, some sort of like more uh, coverage, more in kind of the realm of national security, foreign policy, foreign aid issues. Um, and so that's something I'm still defining. I've only really been here like four or five months. But yeah, a lot of it is just, it's kind of the, the same as when I was at Reuters, like showing up every day, going to the hearings, talking to people on the beat. Um, and then if they say something that's interesting, trying to dig into that further and, and develop a story around it. Angela also followed up with some thoughts about how she picks her stories. I try to find the character of the story and to have a, a personal approach with them. For example, uh, just speaking in concrete, uh, about uh, the, um, the case of uh, the 39 migrants dead in the lorry, I am going to, to, to find out how the Vietnamese community in London, because I'm lucky, I live in London, and so I have the opportunity to go there. I, I'm studying where exactly the Vietnamese uh, community is in London and to just ask people what they think about this. Which is the real extent of the problem, and so go inside the history and find out who can have the genuine point of view of the story. Amy also described her beat for us and talked about how she figures out what stories to cover. So my beat was when I joined with Eastern Europe, and that's now evolving to um, be more national security based here in DC. Um, but we're a small team, especially on the news side of foreign policy. A lot of our, a lot of what you see on our site is arguments pieces, which are, are commissioned from outside experts. But the news, news side, we're a pretty petite team, and so, um, you know, we cover we cover a lot between us. Um, and now, and mostly, it's I'd say like ninety ninety five percent of the time we're expected to pitch. And I feel like that's how it works in most places. We're expected to pitch stories, but we are expected to be. Um, as any journalist is on the news, um, so you know you can't ignore uh, my daddy being killed over the weekend. Um, you can't ignore the ongoing impeachment investigation. So I'm going to pitch this large, long, esoteric piece about the history of uh, you know Kievian Rus. Like that just doesn't really work. Um, so yeah, we're expected to be on the news, but but it's up to us which angles, and because a lot of it's also defined by our knowledge and our sourcing on certain things. So there may be, so the impeachment investigation has been a little bit tricky because it's just a huge story and the Times and the Post just have so much resources. Just, you know, they have journalists that are at the very, very top of their games, top of their careers, and so much more resources than us. Um, so we're not able to compete on the kind of day-to-day breaking news stuff, but what we have been able to do, and I think what we've done well is, use the skills that we have between us. Um, me and our State Department reporter, Robbie Gramer, have worked quite closely on covering this. And so using his 
ton of knowledge, understanding, and sources with around the State Department and my background in Ukraine, we've been able to forge to kind of pull out these very interesting um, kind of you know they call them second day stories, right? Like other angles on it that other people might have missed or um, aspects of context explaining what's going on, things like that. So it's kind of finding out what we can do best with the resources that we have. We hope this episode was really useful to people who are thinking about a career in journalism or maybe thinking about building or shifting to a career in journalism. However, I think this was also a really interesting episode if this isn't a career path you're interested in. Just to hear people talk about what it's like to be a journalist, a female journalist, an Iranian-American journalist, an Italian journalist, in this time when it's so fraught to be a journalist and to tell truth or construct narratives. And I think it's really useful to sit with that and to listen to these people who sometimes get dehumanized in in people's rhetoric, talk about the things that they do and why they do them. And I think Higana said something really powerful when she talked about just trying to make the world a better place and make sure the truth was told. And I think that that's a really admirable thing to thing to do with your life. It's a really admirable career path to choose. And I wanted to thank these women again for their time being interviewed and also for the work they do trying to keep the truth, keep the truth accessible to people. I hope that you all enjoyed our episode. Please don't forget to subscribe to us, rate and review this podcast and whatever app you use. That helps other people find us. It also helps keep our podcast sort of at the top of the listings. And that's really important when it comes to when it comes to getting new listeners. While you're at it, subscribe to Women in Foreign Policy newsletter, which is available on our website. We're really excited to be back from our hiatus. We really want to hear from you. Next month will be International Disability Advocacy. Um, If anyone has any thoughts or any people that they'd be interested in hearing us interview, please let us know. We're going to be building out the interview list for that episode pretty shortly. Also, thank you to all of our new team members who came on board for this episode and jumped right into the fray and were so great. Um, and have done such great work already. We're really excited to have them on board, and we're also very excited to start producing work with them. And I think it's going to be a really, really great team, and I'm excited for you guys to get to see the outcome of this new team that we've put together. Our Twitter account is at Women in FP, which is the organization's account. I am also on Twitter and Instagram with the handle Vaguely Academic. Nina is on Twitter at NinaNagel29, which is N-I-N-A-N-A-G-E-L-2-9. Finally, if the work we're doing means a lot to you, please consider supporting us via PayPal at LM Goulet or on Patreon at Women in Foreign Policy. We are an all-volunteer organization, so we don't get compensated for our time. That means any support you can give just helps us make Women in Foreign Policy even better. We're really grateful to have the opportunity to do this work and to have this platform, and it's really only from support from listeners and Women in Foreign Policy members like you that we get to continue doing this work, and we get to build on this work. Thank you so much, and we will talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.